I hope you're there at Micah chapter 3, and uh, let's go ahead and follow along with me. As I read the entire chapter, we made it all the way through chapter 2 last week, and we'll see if we can do the same with chapter 3 this week. God's Word tells us, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, who strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, Micah says... But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support, and they say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. But therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) It's tough. Just as soon as we leave uh, the good news of the shepherd king there at the end of of verse 2, here goes Micah, deep dives into another difficult, um, difficult proclamation for the people. I think all of us uh, want to hear the truth, don't we? Uh, we? We want people to tell us what's true, even when the truth is hard to hear. Take, for example, your doctor, right? Even if the truth is hard to hear, you want your doctor to still be up front and be open and honest with you. Uh, You might want a home inspector who maybe you notice there's some issues in your home. You want a home inspector to be open and honest with you. You want them to tell you the truth. You want your employer, you want your boss to be truthful to you and to tell you what's right. Certainly in our families, husbands or wives, Our children, we want the truth to be spoken. Here on Thursday, if you have a nut allergy, you want the person who brought the sweet potato casserole to tell you if there's nuts in there or not, right? Underneath that mound of marshmallow goodness. Can I get a witness for sweet potato pie, right? I mean, there's something to be said about a side dish that deserves a dollop of ice cream too, right? But we do. We want people to tell us what's right and what's True, we expect that, we want that. What we have here 
Micah, again, telling what's right and true. This is another of Micah's warnings to those who should have known better. Right? These people, they, they, they continued to proclaim that God was patient. Micah is telling them God's patience is growing short. We have to remind ourselves that God's, God is patient, but He is not patient. His patience comes to an end. Tom, in our, in our Bible study, in our encounter group this Wednesday evening, made a helpful observation. He said, if God's patience never came to an end, then it's no longer patience, but instead, surrender. Right? The very fact that God is patient means that there's a day of judgment. That, that it's coming. And, and if God's patience... If, if judgment never comes, then God has simply surrendered. And so what we have here is, is those who knew better, should have known better, right? The leaders, the governors, the prophets, the priests, all of those, they, they were telling, well, it's okay to continue in your sin because remember, God is patient. Well, God's patience does come to an end, and Micah is warning them of that. He warns the northern kingdom of that that Assyria is on the move, he warns the, the southern kingdom of that, that Babylon also is being built up and will be headed their direction soon also. God will not be mocked in his justice. God is telling the people that, he's telling the leaders, he is saying that God will not allow your sins of idolatry, your sins of oppressing the poor and the vulnerable to go on forever and go unpunished. So Micah is making known the truth in a culture of lies. Micah is making known the truth in a culture of lies, and that's our big idea for this morning. This is kind of the main point that we hope to, to leave with today, is that it's our responsibility, it's our honor to make known the truth in a culture of lies. To make known the truth in a culture of lies. And Micah speaks to that. He addresses this here in chapter 3. And what we see here is, is first we see that the leaders, those who were govern, in, in governing positions, they had abandoned the truth. Look there in verse 1 with me in your copy of God's Word. Micah says this, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? Micah's address is to those who are in positions of power, to those who are responsible for caring and for watching out for justice. These leaders were not upholding justice, but instead they were circumventing justice. They were doing so for their own gain. They were taking advantage of the weak. They were taking advantage of the poor and the vulnerable. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 82 he speaks similar words to leaders as well, calling into question their opposition to those who are on the fringes of society. The psalmist there in Psalm 82, verses 2 through 4, he says this, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? The psalmist continues, he says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the, and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And so we see here, Micah, as he's addressing, he says, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? Those who should embrace justice were not embracing justice. He goes on then in verse 2. He says, you who hate good 
and love evil. See, the leaders, they're guilty of flip-flopping what they should love. They're guilty of flip-flopping what they should hate. Right? No longer do they love what is good and hate what is evil, but instead they were hating what was good and loving what was evil. And in so doing, they were abandoning truth. They were abandoning truth, which is the very standard by which justice should be administered. By abandoning truth, when we love evil and when we hate good, these governing authorities, they're rejecting God's counsel, they're rejecting God's wisdom, and instead they're governing according to their own selfish, selfish pursuits. They're governing according to their own vain glory. And then Micah goes on, it describes the treatment of the people imagery. In verses 2 through 3, we see here, and notice, look at this imagery that he, right? I mean, it's almost, as you read this, it almost makes your stomach churn a little bit. How does he describe the oppression? He says, you who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, who strip off their skin and break their bones in, in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Whew. Micah is using metaphoric language here to describe the social oppression of the leaders. And what he's doing is he is hoping to awaken the consciousness, the consciousness of, of these leaders through graphic and grotesque pictures. In other words, through your oppression, right, by abandoning truth, what happens is, is when you abandon God's truth, you then not begin to gov- govern according to selfish pursuits for selfish and, 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 and greedy reasons. And that comes at a cost of other people. And Micah says, this is what's taking place here among us. And he says that through your oppression, in a sense, you are cannibalizing your own people. This is what injustice looks like because they have abandoned what's right and true. And where does the trail begin when we walk the road of abandoning truth? It begins when we deny the Lord. That's where the trail begins. We abandon truth because it walks in step with the denial of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 53, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He goes on, he says, they are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. And then the psalmist in verse 4 of chapter 53, he says, Do all these evildoers know nothing? He says, They devour my people as though eating bread. So it begins with a denial of the Lord, a denial of God. And now, if, if you deny God, you put yourself on the throne. And now all of your decisions are selfish decisions, and you put other people at odds. Chapter 1 of Micah describes how the leaders had abandoned the Lord. We, we looked at this, right? Chapter 1, he, he addresses the idolatry of Samaria, of the northern kingdom. And it's an idolatry, it's a plague that has, has, has encroached into Judah, into the southern kingdom. It's, it's spread among them. And so he addresses that there in chapter 1. And because they denied the Lord, because of their idolatry, it affects the people. 
So it's no surprise that they would abandon truth and in so doing oppress the people by devouring them in their greed. And then in verse 4, we continue. It says, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer. Who's the they? He's speaking about the governing leaders. About, because they, they've, they've denied the Lord, right? They've been foolish. They've said in their heart, there is no God. And yet when they do, if they do cry out to the Lord, it says God will not answer them. At that time, God will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. God does not answer those who do not acknowledge him and oppress his people. How we treat the poor, the vulnerable, those on the fringes of society speaks a lot about our view of God and our, our, our willingness to abide by what is right and true. In our day, in our day, uh, you read verses like verse 2, you who hate good and love evil, it almost seems to be a mirror of the day in which we live, our culture, doesn't it? We have to understand there's a lot of, there's many who in our day are demanding social justice in our world but we have, they have to understand that there will never be true social justice until we first acknowledge and return to the Lord. For the benefit of our neighborhoods, for the benefit of our cities, of our state, and our nation, we should regularly be praying for our leaders, our governing officials, that they would return to the Lord and His truth. The injustice and oppression that we see today is because many have abandoned God's truth. And we will never truly know what justice looks like, what caring for the poor truly looks like until we acknowledge God and we stand for His truth. So that's why it's our responsibility to make known the truth in a culture of lies it's a helpful book um, titled Secular Creed, engaging five contemporary claims that I would encourage you to read as we think about how do we stand for what's true? How do we make sure that we aren't being sucked into the lies as well? Because it's easy, isn't it? To get sucked into the lies as we, as we hear the, the media, as we hear social media, as we hear our governing officials laying claims and, and, and making, laying down laws. It's easy to just get sucked into it. And, and this book, Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin, is a helpful read to you as it addresses five of those lies that are being broadcast in our culture today. And it's worthwhile for us as bearers of what is true to watch out. And to be on our guard. And so first we see that the leaders had abandoned truth. Next we see that the prophets and the priests, they twisted the truth. Next Micah calls out the prophets. He calls out the priests for, for twisting the truth. Why? For personal gain. I almost thought, it, you almost could say that the prophets marketed the truth. That they were marketing they were pandering the truth. This is what the Lord says in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. 
So the religious leaders were motivated by greed. They were prophesying for personal profit and not according to God's word and the needs of the people. In other words, the bigger the financial gift, the bigger the plate of food, the bigger the plate of cookies that they brought at Christmas time and slid them to the pastor's door. I'm not dropping any subliminal hints. I'm just trying to expose scripture for us. But the bigger the financial gift, the bigger the plate of food, the better the news the prophet or the priest had for you. Peace. Oh boy, I really like that steak that you brought me. Thanks for taking me out to that nice, that nice restaurant. The Lord bless you. He will give you his peace is what they did. And then maybe you didn't show up with your tithe this week or maybe your plate of food was just nothing more than a bologna sandwich. Well, sorry, but this sermon is not going to go well for you is what the prophets would say. It says they would wage war. They were marketing God's truth. They were twisting it in their favor. And what is God's response to these prophets and the priests who twist the truth? He doesn't answer them. It's the same response to those governing officials who abandoned the truth. God says, I will not hear your prayers. I will abandon you. And and to these prophets and to these priests, he does not answer them. Verse 7, we look, then it says, they will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Twisting the truth is a trap that is set for every prophet and priest. It is an easy pitfall. I, will, I, can speak this with, uh, I can speak this from personal experience. It is an easy pitfall to fall into, to twist the truth, to preach, to appease the ears of the listeners. It's, easy, it's an easy trap to fall into, to soften the sharp edges of sin. It's an easy trap to preach for the approval of the crowd rather than the approval of God. To preach according to what, what the people want to hear rather than what they need to hear. In fact, even this morning as I was sitting there on the couch Thinking this through, I thought, man, that big idea just sounds so harsh for the Sunday before Thanksgiving, right? Making truth known in a culture of lies, right? It just sounds heavy, shouldn't we? But this is where God has us here in Micah chapter 3. And I thought, I shouldn't fall into that trap of softening the edges of this. Because we are called to make the truth known because we are living in a culture of, of lies. And so with that being said, it's important for you to pray for your pastors. It's important for you to pray for those who are entrusted with the task of preaching and teaching. That your pastors, that your teachers, whether it be here at Encounter Church, whether it be podcasts or other radio shows that you listen to, it's important for you to pray for them that they would stand firm on God's word. It's also, though, necessary to pray for each other. Why? Because when you hear the truth proclaimed, you now have a responsibility. Are you going to obey it or not? Are you going to receive it and submit to God's word? And are you going to live in obedience to it? So we should, 
uh, so, so that our prophets, so that today's preachers don't twist the truth. We should be praying for them. We should be praying for one another. And also, as a congregation, it's our responsibility for you to hold your preachers and your teachers accountable to what's right and true, that, that we should be good Bereans, like we learn in Acts chapter 17, who after receiving the message that Paul gave to them, they received the message with great earnestness and eagerness, but they examined the Scriptures each day to see if what Paul was teaching them was true. That we just don't accept it without diving into Scriptures our own selves to make sure it's according to God's Word. You see, year after year, generation after generation, as the truth is twisted, the people are going to wander into a wilderness that has no semblance of living according to God's Word. And it happens generation after generation. We abandon truth over here. We twist it a little bit here. And before we know, as time goes on, we find ourselves in a very similar situation to like the, the southern kingdom found themselves. Well then, in chapter 3, here's the good news, okay? This is what you've been waiting for. Micah chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a powerful verse. Micah makes known the truth. The governing of leaders abandoned it. The prophets and priests twisted it. Micah makes known what's true. Verse 8, he says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. In other words, Micah says, I'm going to come and tell you what's right and true. You won't like it, but you need to hear it. Just like we would want our doctor to tell us that our financial advisor, a home inspector, a boss, you name it. Even when it's hard to hear, Micah says, I am going to tell you what's right and true. And so Micah now draws a distinction between himself and the rest. He says, but as for me, right? These are words of great commitment. Micah realizes that, that he is alone in his determination to tell the truth. To be a truth teller in a world of lies or in a culture of lies, let me just tell you, church, it's a lonely occupation. It can be a lonely occupation. If we are going to tell the truth in a culture of lies, we have to be content with being different than the rest of the world. We must be motivated by a fear of God rather than a fear of man. And we must be, no, we must be willing to be made fun of. We need to be willing to put ourselves at social risk. Honestly, we have to find ourselves completely content in who we are in Christ Jesus and what Christ Jesus thinks of us in order to live in obedience to his call. Right? God has not left his, his people here. I mean, Micah steps forward. He says, but as for me, God has not left his people without a truth teller among them, a true witness, a real prophet who's willing to tell the truth even when it hurts. And I wonder, church, have you drawn the line in the sand? Are you willing to echo those same words that Micah says, but as for me? Have you driven the stake in the ground? Have you committed yourself to making known the truth in a culture of lies? Micah goes on, though, to acknowledge the power behind his commitment. What does he say? He says, I am filled with power. 
To declare truth in a culture of lies is a task that is far too difficult for us to carry out in our own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. Micah needed a power that was greater than his own human capabilities, a power to fill him so he can carry out the difficult task of speaking against the political and governing officials, of speaking against the prophets and the priests. Frankly, we see Micah's humility as he acknowledges that even for him, standing against the winds of culture's lies is hard. It is hard, isn't it? It's hard. But Micah says, there's a power within me that enables me to make the truth known. This is far from a boastful announcement, but it's an admittance of his need for God's help to say the right things in the right way at the right time for the right reasons. And the power that fills Micah is indeed the spirit of the Lord. It is the truth of God's justice. It is a reliance on God's might. He says there, with the spirit of the Lord and with his justice and his might. Verse 8 concludes with the specific task that Micah has been empowered and equipped to carry out. What does he say? To declare Jacob to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sins. Some translations have, they say this in the New American Standard Version that I typically study from, It says that Micah has been tasked to make known to Jacob his rebellious acts, even to Israel, his sin. The task of making something known is to bring to light that which was formerly not understood. Micah is bringing information to them. He's making information known that had been buried in the darkness of lies. He's bringing to them God's truth that they were formerly completely unaware of. And we can understand the reasons why the people did not know this truth. Because their leaders had abandoned the truth. And their prophets and priests were twisting the truth. The very people that should have been leading and teaching from the truth were now broadcasting lies. And such is a, that, that is a great, what's, what's an injustice against humanity? How is humanity truly oppressed? When you lead through lies. And you don't tell the truth. But God in his kindness, he sends the prophet Micah to shine light on the truth that had been hidden in the darkness. Today, as followers of Jesus Christ, church, we have a similar responsibility. Micah goes on, the the chapter concludes, we won't go through it verse by verse, but Micah concludes, right? In verse 8, he says, but as for me, he says, I'm going to make truth known. And then in verses 9 through 12, he reiterates, he brings another summary of the sins of the people. Kind of gives them a bullet point, the Cliff Notes version of it there. But today, as followers of Jesus Christ, church, we have a similar responsibility to make God's truth known. Did you know that there are people in this world, neighbors living next door to us, who have never heard the truth of Jesus Christ? And it's our responsibility to make that known to them. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are his spokesmen. We are his spokeswomen. We are entrusted with the gospel message. And like Micah, we are also filled with the Holy Spirit. That we don't have to rummage up the gumption to do it on our own. But God gives us a spirit, his spirit, to declare these truths. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus 
as, as he's getting ready to return to heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And why are we given the Holy Spirit? Jesus says this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're not left alone. Each morning, church, we should ask the Lord, we should pray this prayer to God and say, Lord, today, please help me rely on your spirit and your power so I can make known your truth today. Do you begin your day with that thought in mind that we are Christ's ambassadors and as his ambassadors, as his representatives, we are to be his his spokesman. And yet he gives us his Holy Spirit. And we should say, God, help me to rely on your Holy Spirit. And when the opportunities come, give me the courage to speak up what's right and true. As we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, as we enter into the Advent season, we are provided many opportunities to make known God's truth in loving and gracious ways. Through our conversations, we can tell the truth of this festive season that we celebrate. If I might just encourage you in several very practical ways, ways in which we as members of Christ's church, members as His ambassadors, what we can do during this season to just simply be truth-tellers. I'd encourage you that as you gather around that table filled with food, and often is a practice in many homes, they go around the table and they share what they're thankful for. What a great opportunity for you to share that you're thankful for Jesus Christ. You're thankful for the life that God has given you. Right? That, that we can get beyond just... The trivial, we are thankful for warm, warm homes and good friends and jobs. We are certainly thankful for that. But aren't we ultimately thankful to the one who gives us these good things? G.K. Chesterton said that the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude but has no one to thank. And what an opportunity this Thanksgiving. Maybe you've never shared words like that in front of your family or your friends at such a gathering. But this is a season where people's hearts are uniquely open to it. So let's be, let's make known the truth. Let's tell people really what is the hope that we have. With Christmas just over a month away, we can make the true meaning of the season known to others. Many of our neighbors do not know or understand the true story of Christmas, but we do. It's our responsibility to tell the story. We can invite our neighbors over one evening this month. We can share some dessert with them. We can play games together. We can sit and read the Christmas story together. We can can sing Christmas carols. Even if you're horribly horrible at singing. Do you like that horribly horrible at singing? Lead them in some Christmas carols. And have a time. and, And then sit down and read the Christmas story. From God's word. It doesn't have to be a a big extravaganza. It can just be a simple evening together. 
Maybe you will include your neighbors in other Christmas activities. Maybe you'll be purposeful in your conversations. When sending out the the year-end Christmas card, or for some it's the New Year's card, or if you're really late to the game, it's the Valentine's card. But when sending out the year-end Christmas card, include scripture passages on it. Don't be generic in your holiday greetings. Invite your neighbors to our Christmas activities as a church. Invite them to the drive-by Christmas caroling that we'll have there in the middle of the month. Invite them to the Christmas Eve Eve service. All of these are easy ways that we can, we can step into making known the truth. That we can make the known the truth of our Savior and share with others that the hope that we have even in dark days. And then I would encourage all of us to be praying for those who are going to hear the truth. That we would pray that their hearts would be receptive. I know some of y'all, you have family coming in even this afternoon. Family who you've been praying for, that you've shared the gospel with before. Can I encourage you to make the truth known to them another time? Do it again. Don't give up. Make it known. Because if we don't make it known, who will? Season, let's make known the truth in a culture of lies. In the same way that we want to hear the the truth from our doctors, our employers, our financial advisors, and our family members, so too the world needs to hear the truth from us. And we're entrusted with this task of making the truth known. And we have a great opportunity right before us, don't we? And as we seek to make the truth known in a world of lies, we look to the one who is the truth. Jesus himself. In John chapter 1 verse 14, we are told, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. He was full of grace and what? And truth. Jesus, even as He was preparing to go to the cross, as He stood trial there before Pilate, Pilate asking, inquiring, what is true? What is truth? Jesus' response is, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth.